Let's take our Bibles tonight. We're going to look in Ephesians chapter 6, Ecclesiastes 12, and Daniel chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 6, Ecclesiastes 12, and Daniel 1. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, child training, and we're going to talk about it over the next several weeks. And uh, a lot of times when you, we find a, a church that loves the Bible, people are interested in the Bible uh, and love to study the Bible, a passion for God. What you find is many times it's an older church. Uh, not always, but many times it is. And just people who uh, are, are further along in life have been, have been through some difficulties and challenges. And uh, our church is unusual in that we have a lot of young families. And so I want to talk to you about that. And I think it's one of our most important assets uh, as a church is our children. And uh, not because they're young, not because uh, they belong to us, but because they represent the future of Christianity in some ways in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, If we cannot disciple our own children, then we are probably not going to be able to disciple those that we do not even know yet. Uh, God has given us some disciples in our homes And it's a daunting prospect to think of raising children that will carry the torch forward. But we have been given that opportunity. We've been given that uh, responsibility. So, though our children are very important to us, a very important asset as a group of believers, on the other hand, it is not the job of the church to raise your children. It's not the job of the Christian school to raise your children. It's not the job of the public school to raise your children. It is the job of mom and dad to raise their children. And we come alongside to help, to try to be a blessing if we can. And we're going to go through this material. And I hesitate because uh, I've taught a lot through on these things in the home builders class in years gone by. The fact is we've got a lot of people with kids. And I want you to look at this concept, though, from another standpoint as well. If you're a mother or father... Uh, This will certainly apply to you. If you're going to be a mother and father, it'll apply. Uh, If you have been in the past, it may not apply in the same way. But if you think of of this from a spiritual standpoint, a spiritual aspect, and that is this. We are all a child of God, and the principles really are very similar. It's a lot of similarity in how God raises his children, of course, and how he tells us to raise our children. So we're not going to try to... uh, castigate anybody, make anybody, you know, feel terrible or horrible for how you raised your kids. I look back on my own life, my wife and I, and now I understand what my parents would say when people would come and say, it's such a blessing how you've raised your children. My parents would invariably say, it's nothing but the grace of God. Now I understand what they meant. We made more mistakes than we did right things. That's what they meant. Why? You don't need grace unless there's something you did wrong. And what does that mean? Not that they weren't good parents. Not that they didn't do a good job. I think they were exceptional parents. But they were not perfect. There is no perfect parent. And there is no silver bullet style of raising children that guarantees they will always live for God. Why? There's this nasty little thing that every little boy and girl has in their heart called a will. And they make a decision one day whether or not they're going to follow the Lord. 
But you can, as a mother and father, increase the probability that your children will follow the Lord. Absolutely you can. Just like you can develop in them a love for a certain kind of type of food, a certain place to go on vacation, you can develop and cultivate that in them even more powerfully. The Word of God is quick and powerful. You can develop in them a love for the Word of God and the God of the Word. But the longer you wait, the longer you wait to do what's right with your kids, the harder it can become to change course. And so we have to get on it. There comes a point when uh, it's the point of no return. It's no longer time for reaping or cultivating it, or, or sowing and cultivating. Now it's time to reap. And what do you reap? You reap what you sowed. And thank God you don't read, reap everything that you sowed. I think all of us would be dead by now. But God has grace on us. But he does say, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so that's a good thing. It's also a bad thing. There's consequences for not raising our children for God. I want to start by giving you a little bit of a context, a biblical model in, uh, in this message tonight that we can then build on going forward. The devil has a very simple plan. He wants to take everybody to hell. That's very simple. And if you are saved, if you're born again, his plan alters a little bit. If he can't get you to hell, he's going to try to get you away from the word of God. So where you, you will never be able to have the blessings of God, you'll never have the voice of God guiding you, you'll never have the peace of God, you'll be a miserable Christian the rest of your life. That's what he wants. And so we have to remember that whatever we do as, as, as parents raising children, there's someone behind the scenes trying to undo everything that you are doing. While you're trying to do something that pushes them towards God, there's someone, there's an evil entity that is trying to do everything he can to pull those kids away from God. So let's take our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, this is a great passage about spiritual warfare. And there's seven different pieces of armor listed here for this warfare, but what's the first word of Ephesians chapter 6? Children. That's the context in some ways, for the entire chapter. Look what he says in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore... Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Every child will face that evil day found in verse number 13. Some point he or she is going to face the evil day. What's the evil day? The evil day is that day where your child stands without mother or father they have to stand on their own two feet without any parental guidance. That day is coming for every person. And our job as parents is to prepare them for that evil day. The Lord is preparing his children in Ephesians chapter 6, saying there's an evil day coming. It's a spiritual attack. And you better be ready. And here's the weapons that you need. And so what we're trying to do as believers 
who have children, we're trying to prepare our children for that evil day where they will have to withstand the devil and stand on their own two feet. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, look at verse number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, there's something we love about kids. They have these little sing-song voices, and they can play with, you know, their toys in a room sometimes, and they can, uh, sometimes they do by themselves, and, and we think, man, they, I wish my life was like theirs. I wish I could just be carefree and just have fun. When I was a kid, I had lots of fun. I remember playing with G.I. Joes. I remember playing, I built forts. I, I love to do uh, my own thing. I love to go out and just have fun. And the evil days of taxes and the evil days of responsibilities and the evil days of facing up to what I had to do, carry the weight, those were not, they hadn't come yet. I was still just having fun. And we try to protect our kids for as long as possible, but there comes a day when they have to face the evil day. In Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but it, it refers, as we've gone there many times, it refers to a couple of children, God's children. They are, in a sense, the first two children in the Bible, children of God. And uh, they're the first man and woman, they're the first marriage in the Bible, but they are kind of like our kids. They're kind of like our children in some sense. They, there's some similarities. What was that? Well, they could run around naked and it didn't bother them. Just like our kids, Right. Uh, they, when they did something wrong, they ran and hid, just like our kids. Uh, when they got caught, who did they blame? Somebody else. It wasn't me. It was them. Uh, they had problems with putting things in their mouths, right? Things they weren't supposed to put in their mouths. There's a lot of similarities there. Uh, that in human nature, it's never changed down through the years. And, and they, there's another similarity, and that is this. There came a day when Adam and Eve had to stand on their own two feet against a nefarious serpent. They had to stand, and they fell, just like you and I have fallen. And they fell over the same issue that children fall over. What's that? Yea, hath God said. There's a standard that's placed, and they say, oh, yeah, I'm not sure that really applies to me. The devil has always used the same, the, the same tactics. He will use it on your children. And that is what? Questioning authority. And you know, sometimes when our kids say, why? We think, well, I better have a really good reason. Now, a really good starting place, not the, the best place, but it's a good starting place is because I said so. What? What is that saying? I have the authority to say that you must do this. And so therefore you must do this. And we understand as they get into their teenage years, you need to learn to, to be able to teach them why something is right. But it's never a question of you get to be in charge because it makes sense to me. Kid, kid never gets the responsibility and says, well, until you can explain it to me, I'm going to do my own thing. If you find yourself, teenagers, saying that to your mom and dad, until you have a good reason, I don't have to listen to you, you are dead wrong. 
Because God will honor you if you follow your parents, even if they don't have a good reason, even if they do tell you something you don't agree with, it's called authority. And how, how do I know that? Because the very first people without any problems, no sin whatsoever, the devil was able to get into the crack. Why? He used reason. And he used the idea that God was holding something back from them. That's what he does to teenagers all the time. So it's good for our children to learn, yes, God said this. But he didn't say exactly that. He said exactly this. The reason our kids go to the world is because somebody else gets more influence in their lives than we as parents do. I'm assuming that parents are right with the Lord and trying to do their best. Nobody's perfect. We make mistakes. And we occasionally have had to apologize to our children for things that we should not have said. But I'm talking about doing your best. You're, you're, you're trying. You, a just man falleth seven times and riseth again. So you come back to it and you say, I want to start again. That's the kind of parent you are. But I can tell you, if, if your kids go to the world, it's because the, your kids allowed someone else to influence them, influence them rather than yourself, rather than the Lord. And the world is always there to tell them that they're going to have a lot more fun than doing what God tells them to do. So there's no escaping this day. This evil day is coming. You can't put it off. It's going to happen. And that old, I want you to, to, to do this. Next time your kids are asleep, if they finally, those you know, wonderful brats, go to sleep, and they're lying in their bed, and you sneak into their room, and you look at them sleeping, slumbering peacefully, little angelic cherubs as they lie there with the little curls in the moonlight. And I want you to look down at that child and realize this child could be the most godless, depraved lunatic in this town. She could end up that way. He could become a drunk, a drug addict, a wife beater, a thief, a sluggard. Yes, my child. Why? He or she has the same old human nature that Adam and Eve had. The same old propensity to do whatever he or she wants to do instead of what God said. And the, the, the problem is we want to say, oh, no, not my baby. And then we compare our baby to someone else. We're not supposed to compare our children to other people's children. We're supposed to compare our children with what God told them to do in his word. And as you're looking at the word of God, what are you going to find? You're going to find law and grace. You're going to find right and wrong. You're going to find justice and mercy. Don't just look around and say, well, they let their kids do this or that. You're not raising their kids. You're raising your kids. Take your Bible to Daniel chapter 1. People think, well, I'll drop my kids off at the Christian school. Or I'll drop my kids off at, at, at Sunday school. Or hope for kids on Wednesday night. And they'll, they'll learn them up. They'll help them. The truth is human nature takes over in some cases with parents. They think because I dropped them off at the dentist, I don't have to teach them how to brush their teeth. Which of those should you do? Well, hopefully, if your kids are brushing their teeth, they won't have as many problems with their teeth and have to go to the dentist. But, you know, even still, when you do that, you end up at the dentist's office. And your kids have to go in there and, you know, you hear that drill and, and, and uh, you wish, oh, I wish it, they didn't have to do this. It just happens, even if you brush your teeth. But you don't have to make a choice. 
You don't choose, well, uh, either I'm going to keep my kids at home and we don't do we don't do teen class. We don't do Sunday school because we are a family and I'm the head of the family and all that nonsense. You either go to that extreme or you think if I drop my kids off, you know, I may not really interact with them about spiritual things. I may not really tell them a whole lot about the Bible, but at least I'm sending them to church. You can't. <laughs> Your human nature is going to take over at that point and you're going to think they're good. They're fine. They're covered and they're not. They're not. The Bible over and over and over again in the life of of Israel, God told the parents, the fathers, you need to instruct your children diligently. Diligently. See, that's the hardest part about being a parent is diligence. It's one thing to get all fired up, you know, fired up and say, you know, we're doing this from now on. No more of this. And then tomorrow it's okay to do that. Diligence is is tough. And what God is telling us here is that you can't put this thing on autopilot. Have you heard about the people who drive Teslas around and they think autopilot means they can go to sleep in their car? You know what happens? They end up with a wrecked car and a big bunch of egg on their face. Because what they're trying to do is take their hands off the wheel of their lives and say, I don't need to be responsible. Someone else will be responsible for me. I trust In Elon, I trust. He will provide and protect me. No, no, you have a responsibility. I can't take my hands off the wheel of my family. See, what happens is we we, we try and then we fail and then we say, well, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I, I understand that frustration. But the bigger question is, what did God tell you to do? Let's take our Bibles to Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. It doesn't matter how many Sunday school classes or how many Bible classes our kids sit through, they're still going to have to face the evil day. It doesn't matter if you homeschool and we're going to do it right. That's the biggest laugh I've ever heard. There is no right way to do it that guarantees your children are going to turn out for God. You can't, there's pros and cons, and I could talk ad nauseum about pros and cons that I've seen. There is no one right way that's going to guarantee. And if you're raising your children a certain way because you think it's better than what other people are doing, and that's your main goal is to be better than other people, you're wrong. You should not be doing that. You know what you should do? You should humbly seek the guidance of the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want us to do with our child that would honor you? And then let everybody else do what they're going to do. You watch it. One family goes to Christian school and they all go. One family says, Christian school, no way. We want to have more control in our lives with our kids. And then they go homeschool. All the families go homeschool. Some people said, uh, well, I want my kids to be, have more opportunities to, uh, for business. You know, when they get out, I want to have better education to be able to go to high school and trade school and, and, and education for college and, and scholarships. So we're going to go to the public school, public school. You watch it when, when night in the 1960s, when they took prayer out of school, what happened? There was a huge vacuum that left the public school. Now, I was not in that day. I was not raising kids in that day. But I kind of understand one thing they say about Americans. We don't know what Americans are going to do next, but we do know that they're going to do it all together. It's a truth. We don't know what American believers are going to do, but they're going to do it all together. 
So what do you end up with? You end up with people who fight over their particular way to feel superior to other people instead of being concerned about what thus saith the Lord. And, 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 and you, can, you can mark them down on a list. Homeschooled, Christian schooled, public school, they all are going to follow the same devil and go to the same world. Why? It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And that's what we're looking for. I thank God. My kids uh, went mostly to Christian school. And I thank God for the school that, that they went to and the, the hardworking teachers and the, the God-fearing people that they were in contact with. They did an excellent job. I thank the Lord for how I was raised. I was homeschooled. I thank God for that. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to seek the wisdom and guidance of the Lord. And I'm going to show you some things here in Daniel that will work in no matter what situation they're in. Because it can be just as hard to serve God in a Christian school as in a public school. How do I know? I've talked to him. At least nobody in public school pretends to be Christian. Amen? You can say amen. Not everybody goes to Christian school. Not everybody homeschools. So this is equal opportunity offending tonight. Take a, take a look at this here. Before we jump into the text, I want you to think of the cast here. We've got Babylon, that's the unbiblical worldly system. We've got Nebuchadnezzar, he's a type of the beast or the Antichrist. And you've got four Hebrew children, they stand for any child. This whole thing is a picture of what the devil wants to do with the world system to your child. Look in verse 3, Daniel 1, 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. First thing you got to notice is there's a specific attack here, not a general attack. It's specific attack on the king's seed, certain of the children of Israel. He's dialed in to a very specific group of people. These Hebrew children are from Judah. That's the tribe that Jesus came from. They're in the line of Christ, either directly or indirectly. And, and the devil knows that these children here are the link in the Old Testament, the link that gets us to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Daniel himself is writing this book. He is one of the links from the Old Testament to the New. And without the book of Daniel, without Daniel surviving a lot of the Bible would not make sense. We would not be able to piece it together. Certainly, we would be up the creek in the book of Revelation without this book. You see, the devil's not just interested in anybody. He is specifically interested in your kids. Why? Because you stand for God. You want to follow God, and so he wants your kids. Why? He's worth more points. Everybody knows you're playing a video game, and you can either go after this character or go after that character. This character is 50 points. That character is 100 points. You're going to go after the one that's more points. Your children of the king's seed, so to speak, they're trying to follow the one true God. He's going to be going after them. He wants to destroy the line of Christ in your family. What's the best guarantee that your, your grandkids know Jesus Christ as their Savior? For their parents to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the very best guarantee. It's not an absolute guarantee, but it's the very best. So why does the devil go after your kids? Because he wants to ruin the line. He wants fewer people. 
What did the Lord say to us? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, the things which thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The reason why we are here is because God used a man, Rick Sowell, to help teach and grow and see people saved and build this church. Well, where did he get it? Well, this is a, this a very well, little known secret. He was never taught it. He just appeared magically out of thin air and knew the Bible. That's how it happened. That's what you think is going to happen in your kids' lives. Somewhere, they're just, it's going to, God's going to zap them and they're going to know. I looked at a Bible this past week, going through some things with Pastor Sal. And in that Bible, there's a handprint of him when he was five years old, 1960. And there's a handprint of his little brother. You know who put that in there? No one knows. It just happened. It just, it's like, it was like the handprint of God just... Boom, put that, and he was just endowed with supernatural wisdom. That is stupid. Sorry to be so blunt, but we are in Toledo. We're blue collar here. It's stupid to think that your kids are just going to, wow, you have a responsibility. You know who traced that hand? Not him, not Pastor Sowell, his mother traced the hand. His mother wrote, Ricky, age five. His mother sat him down and said, let's read the Bible and I'll put my finger here and you pronounce the words. That's how it happens. It's not rocket surgery. That's how it happens. Somebody's got to do it. That's why the devil's after your kids. Because the best chance kids in Toledo, Ohio have to learn about Jesus Christ is through parents like yours. Like you. You are the best chance. So look at this. These children are from Judah. They're special, but they're ripped from their homes somewhere around the age of 12 to 16 years of age and maybe even younger. In a lot of cases, Babylonian history tells us they were killed. Parents were killed right in front of their own kids. And now they're faced with the most wicked world system that had ever been to that point. But somebody prepared them. Because somebody looked around, looked behind, looked ahead and said, we better get these kids ready. They saw that the evil day was coming and their kids were prepared for that evil day. Look at verse number four. It says, it describes the kids as children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They were skillful in wisdom. What kind of wisdom? Well, we know there's five books of wisdom in the Old Testament, right? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon, Psalms. They were cunning in knowledge, and they understood science, which, by the way, if they understood science, there's a lot of science in books like Job, Exodus, Leviticus. They understood that. They had knowledge, they had wisdom, they had understanding. Somebody had prepared these kids for the coming evil day. Their dad was not there, their mom was not there, their brother and sister were not there. Who was there? Only God. Only God. They could stand and do what's right, even in a godless society. Here's what the devil wants to do with your kids. Look what he says in verse number four. Whom they might teach the learning and the tongue. 
Either you're going to teach them or he's going to teach them. And he wants to teach them. He loves teaching kids. There's no one that he likes teaching more than someone who is uninitiated. And he teaches them the learning of the Chaldeans. Think about that. Not just the facts and figures, but the learning process, the style of teaching, the way that people learn. He taught them that. What he wants to do is he wants to change the way that they think about the world itself. Not just, of course, we know up and down, left and right. No, 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 he's not talking about that. What he wants to do is teach them a way to think about up and down and left and right. He wants to give them different glasses to put on so that they see the same stuff that Bible-believing Christians see, but they come up with all kinds of different ideas about it. Where does that come from? It comes from, yea, hath God said. He wants to teach them not just the learning, but the tongue of the Chaldeans. He wants to teach them to talk a different way. If you think like the world, you're going to talk like the world. And notice, one of the major things, the biggest thing, really, that, that they had to deal with, and that was that authority issue. Look what it says in verse 5. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. The wine and the meat here, that's the meat and the wine offered to idols in Babylon. It's not just from the land. It was, it was more significant than that. They wanted to, he wanted them to eat it because it was important in Babylon, what they liked in Babylon. It was a daily portion, a daily portion. How much did they, how much did they get? Well, he had a, a certain daily provision that was made. Do you realize that the devil has a daily provision for your kids? Sometimes we call it a program. Sometimes we call it a post. Sometimes we call it a pal. But it's a daily provision, something that is meted out to them. Here's what you get today. If you're not doing something to offset that daily provision, if you're not shutting that daily provision down, you're losing to the devil. Because he's going to keep feeding them over and over again. What is he going to feed them? He's going to feed them absolute nonsense. He's going to feed them carnality. He's going to feed them sensuality. He's going to teach them through TV, through Netflix. He's going to teach them through social media, through interactions with other kids. He's going to teach them things. You know, I'm thankful to say I never heard my first cuss word from anyone in my family. But I heard him. I never, I never heard my dad use a cuss word, but I heard him. What does that mean? They're going to hear the junk regardless at some point. Not all of it, but something is going to get in there. You're not going to keep your kids from knowing about sin somewhere the devil get in. But you know who got in before the devil did? My parents got in there with the Bible. My parents got in there with prayer. So the devil's constantly cranking out a daily provision for my kids. But through the power of God and humility and parents who loved me and cared for me, they got in there as well. Their daily provisions were two pairs of knees down on their knees praying on a daily basis. Well, what does prayer do? 
You tell me. I've heard from many, many, many a strong Christian that said, if it wasn't for the prayers of my mother and father, I would never be here today. I know this. There were times as a child that I wanted to sin. I wanted to get into mischief and I couldn't find any mischief to get into. I distinctly remember a day where I was looking for something and I couldn't find it. You think the devil didn't want me to find it? I think the devil really wanted me to find it, but the power of God was holding him back. Why? Somebody was praying for me. Holding me, holding that evil back just long enough to where the spirit of God could talk to me through his word. You see, that is what we're trying to do as parents. Sometimes we think it's all about rules. We need to get a hold of the, yeah. But may I remind you, God not only, not only gave us the word of God, he gave us the spirit of God. And the spirit of God can operate where rules do not go. He can come in and he can use the rules, but he can put pressure in a way that us as parents can never put pressure. God can do it. Are you praying for your kids? Not just praying. What are you praying for your kids? You say, well, I don't have any kids. Let me ask you this. Are you a child of God? If you are, the devil's after you. What prayers are you praying to combat the devil's work in your evil day? So it says here, daily, a daily provision, nourishing them three years. Does that sound familiar? How long did Jesus take to train his disciples? Three years. You see, the devil, he wants them for three years. Jesus had them for three years. And the whole purpose is that they might stand before the king. Which king? Which king? Are they going to stand before the king of kings and lord of lords? We all will if we're children of God. But otherwise, you know what you're going to do? You're going to stand before Satan in hell for the rest of eternity. So God has a plan. The devil has a plan. Notice it says they might stand before the king. Stand, stand. Interesting there. Doesn't Ephesians 6 tell us that we're supposed to stand in the evil day? You know, he has his own understanding of standing in the presence of the king. That's what the devil wants. But do you remember when that great image was built? And you had the three Hebrew children. And when the music started, everyone bowed down except for the three. What did they do? They stood. And they said, I'm not going to bow down. Who taught them that? Who taught them to stand against the entire flow of culture? Their parents did. Their parents did. They got in early and they taught them. Okay, now take your Bibles and look at verse number 7. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. That's exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants to change your sweet little child into a beer-guzzling, cigarette-smoking, dope-smoking pervert. That's what he wants to do. He wants to do it. You notice that all these children's names were given to them based on their relationship to God. L listen to these. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means God without equal. 
And Azariah means God is my helper. And what did he do? The prince of the eunuchs, the prince of the power of the air, if you will. What did he do? He changed their names to Belteshazzar, which means Baal's prince. He changed Hananiah to Shadrach, which means illuminator of the sun god. He changed Mishael to Meshach, which means who is like Venus, which in today's world would be who is like Taylor Swift. He changed Azariah to Abednego, which means servant of Nego. You know what the saddest part about this is? What are the names of the three Hebrew children? We still call them Meshach and Abednego. We still call them Shadrach. Why? Because that's what the devil intended for them to be called. And we still call them that. Why? Because the devil has a a desire not just to get your kid to kind of be okay with the world. He wants to change their very identity. And there is a lot of strange dealings afoot today, not just change their desires or their names. He wants to change their gender. He continues to push the envelope. He wants to change everything about your child. He wants them to think like the Chaldeans, talk like the Chaldeans. He wants them to be one of the Chaldeans. No distinguishment whatsoever. The evil day is coming. The clock's ticking. Your kid is going to have to face up. But I want you to watch. Here's where we want our kids to be. Look at verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. They tried to change his value system, to think and talk like the world. They tried to get him to change his name, get him to be somebody he wasn't, and they worked on him and worked on him and pressured him and leaned on him for three years. But Daniel purposed in his heart, and he had, there was a value system inside of him that was different from anything on the outside. Somebody had taken the scriptures somewhere along the line. And they had shaped his will, and they had developed his character, and they had built up his mind, put God into his mind. Someone here had molded his spirit. Because here we have a guy who's in a place that he does not want to be. He's surrounded by strangers, none of his family there to protect him. And no one's looking to know even if he did do something that he knew was wrong. No one was there. But you know what Daniel had in his heart? Daniel had an awareness of God in his heart. And Daniel said, I know maybe nobody else sees me, but God sees me. If you could train into one thing into your kids, it would be this. I would recommend this. Train into them the fact, not the belief in the sense of how we use belief, but the fact that God sees everything. Because once you understand that, then you know that you are not a law unto yourself. You know you cannot hide from the all-seeing eye of God. And so it's, it's found in the scripture what God expects. We're not trying to make our kids afraid of God. We want them to know that God is bigger than us. He's worthy to be served. He's worthy to be worshipped. And we want our kids to know, when nobody else is around, I can do right. 
Because God is with me. When nobody else is around. Notice they eat nothing but pulse and water for 10 days and they're stronger, they're smarter than anybody else. In Psalm 78, 24 and Isaiah 55, 11, pulse and water are a type of the word of God in the Bible. Look at verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. They were superior. They were superior to what? To the magicians and the astrologers. You notice the two kinds of people that he uses to describe Babylon? What's a magician? A magician is somebody who works with illusion, deception, sleight of hand. It's somebody who shows you what you want to see. You want to see something cool, something that looks uh, unusual, supernatural? It's a fake, it's a trick, but we can do that for you. You know what else? The astrologers. The astrologers are the one that can read your future by looking at the stars. And they could say, oh, you were born under this constellation. So this is what your propensities are. They're still doing it today. People still read about their horoscope today. But what does an astrologer do? He tells you what you want to know about yourself, about your future. We still have those people today. Pretenders, fakers, who tell you what you want to know, who show you what you want to see. As long as you give them money and fall down and worship them, they will keep you laughing, they will keep you crying or feeling or having the rest of that. That's what our world has always offered. It's what our world is offering our kids. Who are we up against? I want you to know, they may have really good tricks. The world may have really good illusions. But may I remind you, they are fakers. You don't have to be intimidated by the magicians and the astrologers of American culture. You don't have to worry about the the, the influencers on social media. They're fakes. How do I know that? One word, filters. Here's another one. Multiple takes of the same spontaneous picture. They're fakes. You're up against fakes, but they're really flashy fakes. And the reason why it works on your kids is because they're naive. They don't realize that people lie, that people do things just for themselves. You know anybody that cares for your kids? Slap yourself. You're the one that cares for your kids. Don't let them go down the river. Don't let them go by themselves. They're going to face the evil day no matter what. So why not prepare them? You wouldn't send your kids to, uh, to youth camp without a pillow and a sleeping bag. Why? I don't want them to get made fun of. Well, don't send your kids out into the world without some type of defense. You, you want to send your kids out there with the best possible education they can get from the Word of God. Oh, I, I bring them to church every week. I just try to tell you, no, that's not enough. You know who your kids need? They need you. You. Well, I'm working out there. I'm trying to make, provide a living. Well, (laughs) good for you. You're working a job. You would be working a job whether you had kids or not. Whether you were married or not. All of the stuff that we say is for other people is actually for us. And it just makes us feel good. You know what your kids need? They need you. 
They need you to sit down with them. They need you to talk to them. They need you to open a Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. Let's read together. Let's pray. Well, I don't know how. Let me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. Do you know how to read? Then read the Bible. I'm not trying to be mean. I know you guys are already doing this. I'm talking to them out there. People that are not doing this. If you know how to read, you know all that you need. Even if you don't know how to read, you get an app on your phone that can read the Bible to you. And you sit down and say, let's listen to the Bible together. And then let's do a prayer. And I feel really weird. Here's an idea. If you feel weird praying with your kids, how about this? You pray by yourself for your kids. And then you come together and you pray those same prayers with your kids. See what I'm saying? They don't have to be amazing, miraculous, master of theology prayers. They can be from your heart because it doesn't matter how awesome you want to be. It matters who you are right now. Get with them. Fumble your way through it. Or, or here's another option. Sarcasm alert. Ready? You can wait till later after you haven't done everything you're supposed to and you can look back and you can blame the church and you can blame the youth leader and you can blame the Christian school teacher and you can blame their punk friends. You can blame everybody else, but you didn't do anything about it. So here's a better idea. Rather than waiting till later and feeling guilty about the past, why don't you feel guilty right now about the kind of loser parent you're going to be in 20 years if you don't do something right now? Go ahead and feel the guilt right now. Isn't that what the Christmas carol is all about? The, Chris, the, the, the ghost of Christmas past and present and future? Hey, how about the ghost of parenting future? Ask him to take a visit and say, if I keep acting like I am with my kids and spending the time with them like I am and, 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 and spending my life on my phone while my kids are around, what's that going to look like, ghost of parenting future? You're not going to like what you see. You're not going to like it. You know what you're going to have? You're going to have, like the old country song says, like the, they, they used to say, who was that? Cat Stevens that had a song about, hey, let's, let's, get to de- let's get together. Can we play together? Oh, yeah, I will. One of these days, i got to go to work, but I'll be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to, I'll come back and we'll get together and we'll have fun together. Right? Anybody remember that song? And what happens? Now the dad wants to hang out with the kid. And what does the kid say? Oh, we'll get together, Dad. I'll be over to see you. We'll have fun. We'll enjoy. Why? What you reap, you sow. You want to have a kid that grows up to to know and serve the Lord? There's nothing you can do to 100% guarantee it. Not one thing. But there's a really good thing that you can do that'll lean heavy on their heart. And that is what? Have a relationship with God yourself and endeavor to bring them into that relationship. And it'll lean hard on them. You say, well, my husband won't do anything. My wife won't do anything. Are they breathing for you too? Is their heart beating for the both of you? You're your own individual. Do what you can with who you are, where you are. Hey, grandpa, grandma, I'm one of them. Hey, listen, we can't change anything. Uh, we can't fix it all. We can't, and we don't need to. But you know what we can do? We can do what we can do. I sometimes wonder if we even think about these things. Is everything set in stone? Are we all just floating this huge garbage barge down the river where we're going to go over the falls? Or is there anything we can pray about? Is there any area we can make an influence? We can make a difference in someone's life. Is there anything we can do or are we just all going to perish someday? You know who wants you to think that way? 
the God of this world who is responsible for the course of this world. You know what the Lord wants you to do? Stand in the middle of the, of, of the great deluge. Stand against the flood. Stand against the overwhelming course of the world's events. He wants you to stand equipped with the power of God. You can stand like Daniel in the middle of a perverse nation. You can stand. It's where we want our kids to be. They tried to change him. They tried to fix him. They tried to morph him. And he stood. And not only did he stand, he was ten times better. Look at verse 21. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Seventy years. Psalm 90 tells us that seventy years is our life, three score and ten. You see, the principle here is that his parents taught him enough to not only sustain him for the moment and the evil day, but for the rest of his life. He he outlasted multiple administrations. Daniel was not perfect. He was not sinless. But he never let Babylon change who he was. Dare to be a Daniel, the song said. And I want to encourage you parents, dare to raise a Daniel. God's got some young people in in the pews here right now. They're going to face the evil day here in about five years. Maybe ten years. But you're already working. You're already prepared. You're already thinking about that. And I want you to know as a church, we're coming right alongside to help you as best we can. We can't raise them for you. We can't fix your mistakes. But I can tell you this. God can take whatever you bring to him as a mother, as a father, and say, Lord, I want to do the best I can. But ultimately, I know it's in your hands. When my Daniel goes out to Babylon, oh God, will you protect him? Will you stand with him, God, when no one else will stand with him? Will you help her as she faces the onslaught of Nebuchadnezzar in the powerful empire of Babylon? Lord, will you help her? Will you undergird her? Will you stand with her as she stands in that evil day? Those prayers, I guarantee you, had followed Daniel all the way into that heathen culture. The prayers of his parents. And may God do the same in your family. Let's bow our heads in prayer.